Chapter Fourteen of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. A Vision of the Night, Chapter Two. End Awake. The vicomte's friend was a gentleman of a figure which is not uncommon in France, even today. His attitude suggested a ramrod, he breathed powder and shot, and he bristled, what shall we say, with bayonets, the last person in the world with whom a modern Briton should have a serious difference of opinion. The ideas of that sort of person upon matters which involve a difference of opinion are in such contrast to ours. The vicomte performed the ceremony of introduction. Mr. Gerald Novel, permit me to introduce you to your courteous consideration, my friend, Monsieur Victor Berigny. Monsieur Berigny bowed, ceremoniously. Mr. Lowell only nodded. His thoughts were behind the screen. The vicomte turned to his friend. Victor, I have explained to you that I have already had the pleasure of an interview with Mr. Gerald Novel. Monsieur Berigny bowed. I have also explained to you that I have desired him to inform me by whose authority he exhibits a portrait of my wife in a public exhibition. To that he has replied that his picture, A Vision of the Night, is not a portrait of my wife. I request you, Victor, to state in Mr. Gerald Lovell's presence whether that picture, in your opinion, is or is not a portrait of my wife. "'Certainly it is a portrait.' Mr. Berigny's accent was more marked than the Vicomte's, but still he did speak English. "'I thank you, Victor. It remains for me to once more request, in your presence, Mr. Gerald Lovell, to explain how it was that he happened to dream of the face of my wife last August, in the Hôtel de Flandre at Spa. Mr. Gerald Lovell, I have the honour to await your explanation.' The Vicomte, his arms crossed upon his chest, his left foot a little protruding, his head thrown back, awaited the explanation. Mr. Lovell's thoughts ran screenwards. What the deuce shall I do if he discovers her behind the screen? Monsieur, I am waiting. If he does discover her, there'll be a row. I am still waiting, Mr. Gerald Novell. With each repetition of the statement, the vicomte's tone become more acidulated. The artist arrived at a sudden resolution. Then I am afraid, Vicomte, that you will have to wait. The Vicomte looked at the artist with an evident inclination to add a cubit to his own stature. Is it possible that I understand your meaning, Mr. Gerald Novel? My language is sufficiently simple. In France, Mr. Gerald Novel, an artist is supposed to be a gentleman. And so in England, Vicomte, and therefore when an artist is interrupted at his work by another gentleman, he feels himself at liberty to beg that other gentleman to excuse him. Mr. Lovell waved his hand, affably, in the direction of the door. The vicomte's countenance assumed a peculiar pallor. "'You are a curious person, Mr. Gerald Lovell. his friend interposed. "'Philippe, you have better leave the matter to me.' Monsieur Berigny approached the painter, with a ramrod down his back. I have the honour, monsieur, to request from you the name of a friend. Of a friend? What for? 
ah monsieur to arrange the preliminaries what preliminaries is it that monsieur amuses himself is it possible that you suppose that i am going to fight a duel monsieur intends then to offer an explanation to my friend monsieur Berigny, i do not wish to say to you anything uncourteous or anything unworthy an english gentleman but i do beg you to believe that because you choose to be an idiot and your friend chooses to be an idiot it does not follow that i choose to be an idiot too monsieur one other observation i have not seen much of you monsieur Berigny, but that little has not disposed me to see more may i therefore ask you to leave my studio monsieur or must i turn you out turn me out the vicomte had been listening to this little dialogue he now turned towards his friend ah my friend it is as he says he will turn you out neck and crop as the english say he will throw you down the stairs he will heave half a brick at your head to help you on your way then when you require satisfaction he will reserve you to a magistrate you will summon him it will be in the papers he will be fined half a crown that is how they manage these affairs in england it is true but among gentlemen ah mon ami voilà in england nowadays there are no gentlemen mr lovell moved a step towards monsieur Berigny. i have asked you as a gentleman to leave my studio monsieur you are a coward the painter's eyes gleamed but he kept his temper pretty well considering you appear to have been taught singularly ill manners in your native country sir i will endeavour to teach you better manners here are you going or must i eject you polisson that was monsieur berigny's answer there was just a momentary hesitation then grasping monsieur berigny firmly by the shoulders mr lovell began to move him more rapidly than gently in the direction of the door the vicomte came forward with the evident intention of interposing there would probably have been a slightly undignified scramble had not a diversion been created by the opening of the door and the entrance of mr warren that gentleman glanced from one person to another i beg your pardon he observed i hope i don't intrude mr lovell laughed a little forcedly his complexion was distinctly ruddy not at all i wish you had come in sooner the most ridiculous thing has happened indeed i have an eye for the ridiculous you know that picture of mine a vision of the night i've heard of it this gentleman says that it's a portrait of his wife mr lovell pointed to the vicomte de Mieret. no then in that case this gentleman's wife came into your bedroom in the middle of the night and kissed you wasn't it mr warren spoke in the innocence of his heart but at that moment mr lovell could have struck his boyhood's friend there was a listener behind the screen the young gentleman's cheeks grew crimson as the ladies had done a few minutes ago he was conscious too that the vicomte's unfriendly eyes were fixed upon his face so that is it you you the vicomte moved a step forward then checked himself tell me where is my wife at this instant mr lovell could have told him but he refrained i decline to give you any information of any kind whatever you decline the vicomte raised his hand he would have struck the artist mr warren interposed to avert a blow he declines for a very simple reason that he has never seen your wife isn't that so gerald mr lovell hesitated 
He scarcely saw his way to a denial while the lady was behind the screen. "'You see, he does not even dare to lie.' "'Don't talk nonsense, sir. Gerald, why don't you tell the man that you have never seen the woman in your life?' "'I repeat that I decline to give this person any information of any kind whatever.' "'You decline?' The vicomte uttered the words in a kind of strangled screech. His patience was exhausted. He seemed to think that he was being subjected to treatment which was more than flesh and blood could bear. He rushed at Mr. Lovell. Mr. Lovell, probably forgetting himself on the impulse of the moment, or he would have been more careful, swung the vicomte round against the screen. It tottered, reeled, and, raising a cloud of dust, it fell with a bang to the floor. It was a leaf out of Sheridan. For an instant the several members of that little party did not distinctly realize what it was that had happened. Then they saw. There was a pause, a curious pause. Their attitudes betrayed a charming diversity of emotions. The vicomte, his coat a little disarranged, owing to the somewhat rough handling which he had just received, stood and glared. Monsieur Berigny, more ramroddy than ever, stared. Mr. Warren gasped. Mr. Lovell's quickened breathing, crimson cheeks, and flashing eyes, seemed to suggest that his breast was a tumult of conflicting feelings. The lady, whose presence had been so unexpectedly revealed, stood behind the fallen screen, with the most charming air of innocence in the world, and she smiled. It was she who broke the silence. She held out her hand to the vicomte. Bonjour, Philippe. Aha! The vicomte drew himself away with a sort of shuddering exclamation. Antoinette! It is you! It cannot be! My dear Philippe, why not? Why not? Why not? She asks, why not? The vicomte held out his hands, as though he appealed to the eternal varieties. Traitresse! Once more is woman false and man betrayed. The vicomte's gesture was worthy of the tragic stage. In France, the lady still held out her hand, and still she smiled. My dear Philippe, try comedy. Comedy. Ah, yes, I will try comedy. The comedy of revenge. The vicomte distinctly rolled his eyes. He turned to Mr. Lovell. I will kill you, even though for killing you by the law of England I am hanged. Victor, where is my hat? The vicomte put his question to his friend with a peculiar coldness. Monsieur Berigny shrugged his shoulders. How should I know? It is not a question of a hat. As you say, it is not a question of a hat. It is a question. The vicomte moved towards Mr. Lovell. Of that! He raised his hand with the intention of striking the artist on the cheek. Mr. Lovell never flinched, but the lady, rushing forward, caught her husband by the wrist. She looked at him, still with laughter in her eyes. Try not to be insane! The vicomte glared at her with a glare which, at least, was characteristic. Why do I not kill her? Why? The lady only smiled. They say that the woman is devoid of humour. How is it then sometimes with a man? You, Philippe, are always thinking of the Porte Saint-Martin, I, of the Bouffe Parisiens. The vicomte turned to his friend. Victor, why do I not kill this woman? Monsieur Berigny only shrugged his shoulders, possibly because he was not ready with a more adequate reply. The lady turned to the artist. Monsieur, I offer you ten thousand apologies, which my husband will one day offer you himself, as becomes a gentleman of France. 
The Vicomte repeated his inquiry. Victor, why do I not kill this woman? Only a shrug in reply. The lady went on. You have immortalized my poor face, monsieur. My husband insults you in return. The Vicomte folded his arms across his chest. It is certain, Victor, that she still lives. One night, monsieur, my husband locked me in my room. He designed to make of me a prisoner. Why? Ah, do not ask me why. When he had left me, I escaped, not by the door which he had locked, but by a door he had not noticed. This door led into an apartment in which there was a stranger sleeping. I was but an instant in that apartment, but the instant in which it was necessary to pass through. The sleeper never spoke to me. He never saw me with his walking eyes. But even in his sleep, my poor frightened face so flashed upon his brain that even in his waking hours it haunted him so that he made of it a picture, a picture of that vision of the night. The vicomte approached closer to his friend. He addressed him in a sort of confidential but still distinctly audible aside. Victor, is it possible that this is true? I beg my friend that of me you will ask nothing. Monsieur, this morning I was at your academy. I saw my own countenance looking at me from the walls. For the first time I learned that my poor frightened woman's face had appeared to a sleeping stranger in the vision of the night. Oh, monsieur, monsieur! The lady covered her face with her hands. It would perhaps be rash to say that she cried, but at least she seemed to cry, and if it was only seeming, she did it very well. Victor again inquired the vicomte of his friend. Is it possible that this is true? Monsieur Berigny wagged his finger in the vicomte's face. Du Murier, it now becomes a question of hats. The vicomte laid his hand on his companion's arm. One instant, Victor, still one instant more. The lady, uncovering her eyes, which actually were sparking with tears, continued to address the artist. Monsieur, I will not speak to you of my love for my husband. My Philippe! I will not speak to you of how we have been parted for a year, a whole long year. Mon Dieu, monsieur, mon Dieu! I will not speak to you of how, every instant of that long, long year, I have thought of him, of how I have yearned for him, of how I have longed for one touch of his hand, one word from his lips, one glance from his eyes. No, monsieur, I will not speak to you of all these things, and for one reason, that with me all things are finished. I go never to return again. My faith, you have made immortal. The rest of me will perish. For the woman whose heart is broken, there remains but one place, the grave. It is to that place I go. The lady had become as tragic as her husband, even more so in her way. She moved across the room with the air of a tragedy queen, Parisian. The vicomte was visibly affected. He fastened a convulsive clutch upon Monsieur Berigny's arm. Victor, tell me, what shall I do? Advise me, oh, my friend. This is a critical moment in my life. It is impossible that I should let her go. Antoinette! The vicomte advanced, just in time, between the lady and the door. Monsieur, I entreat of you this last boon to let me go. You have insulted me in the presence of a stranger. For me, therefore, nothing else remains. You have inquired if you should kill me. No, Philippe, you need not kill me. It is myself I will kill. Antoinette! I am no longer Antoinette. I am the woman whose happiness you have destroyed. 
It is only when I am dead that you will learn what is written on my heart for you. Antoinette! The strong man's voice faltered. Antoinette, am I never then to be forgiven? There was a moment's pause. Then the lady held out both her hands. Philippe! My heart, my soul, thou treasure of my life, thou star of my existence. Is it possible that a cloud should have interposed itself between the, thy path and mine? He took her in his arms. He pressed her to his breast. Monsieur Bourigny turned away. From his attitude it almost seemed as if the soldier, the man of ramrods and bayonets, wiped away a tear. Philippe, take care or you will derange my hat. Antoinette, my beautiful, my own. Philippe, do you not think you should apologize? Take care, my friend, or you certainly will derange my hat. To the stranger who has made immortal the face of the woman who loved you better than her life, my friend, take care. Who has made her repair on canvas so much more beautiful than she is in life? No, Antoinette, that I will not have. It is impossible. Beauty such as yours is not to be rendered by a painter's brush. If that be so, all the more reason why we should be grateful to Mr. Lovell for endeavouring the impossible. The lady peeped at Mr. Lovell with the quaintest malice in her eyes. Certainly, Antoinette, there is something in what you say. And after all, it is a charming painting. I say, Victor, when I saw it, there can be no doubt as a painting. It is charming. Did I not say so? Monsieur Berigny inclined his head. With his handkerchief, the vicomte smoothed his moustache. He advanced towards Mr. Lovell. Monsieur, a Frenchman, a true Frenchman, seldom errs. On those rare occasions in which he errs, he is always willing, under proper conditions, to confess his error. Monsieur, I perceive that I have done you an injustice. For the injustice which I have done you, I desire to apologize. Mr. Lovell smiled. He held out his hand. My dear fellow, there's nothing for which you need apologize. The vicomte grasped the artist's hand in both of his. My dear friend, he cried. Philippe, whispered the lady into her husband's ear. Do you not think that you would like Mr. Lovell and his friend to favor us with their company at luncheon? The vicomte seemed to think he would. They lunched together, all the five. Why not? End of chapter 2 of A Vision of the Night Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway The 21st of January, 2012